This episode of Story Institute's Ramblin' Verser is brought to you by Timeless Tales. We bring you travel and fun, creating new stories in your life. Enhance your stories now. Well, hello there and welcome to Story Institute's Rambling Verser Episode 8. We've made it. This is now going on the second month. We thank you all for joining us again. I am John Murray III. I will be your host today and will be joined by Terry reading the poems, po- poetry topics, short story topics, and our special guest today will be Phyllis Simbler Miller. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Our quote for today is simple but important. The aim of life is self-development. To realize one's natures perfectly, that is what each of us is here for. And that's brought to you by Oscar Wilde. Whether you're a writer or a reader who just loves great stories, think about how you give back to that community of writing. Whether it's creating stories of your own or picking up a book uh, from writers that you may not have heard before. Through this podcast, we had hoped to bring you uh, an insight to more writers than you would get in a local bookstore. Seek out new authors and ask yourself if the experiences that you've had, that self-development growth that you've experienced, has gone along with those writers as well. And now here's Terry with the poem of the week. Terry? And here's today's poem, War is Kind by Stephen Crane. Do not weep, maiden, for war is kind, because your lover threw wild hands toward the sky, and the affrighted steed ran on alone. Do not weep, war is kind. Hoarse booming drums of the regiment, little souls who thirst for fight. These men were born to drill and die. The unexplained glory flies above them. Great is the battle god, great in his kingdom. A field where a thousand corpses lie. Do not weep, babe, for war is kind. Because your father tumbled in the yellow trenches, raged at his breast, gulped and died. Do not weep, war is kind. Swift blazing flag of the regiment, eagle with crest of red and gold. These men were born to drill and die. Point for them the virtue of slaughter. Make plain to them the excellence of killing. In a field where a thousand corpses lie. Mother whose heart hung humble as a button on the bright splendid shroud of your son. Do not weep. War is kind. What says the sea, little shell? What says the sea? Long has our brother been silent to us. Kept his message for the ships. Awkward ships. Stupid ships. The sea bids you mourn, O pines, sing low in the moonlight. He sends tale of the land of doom, of place where endless falls, a rain of women's tears and men in gray robes. Men in gray robes chant the unknown pain. What says the sea, little shell? What says the sea? Long has our brother been silent to us, kept his message for the ships, puny ships, silly ships. The sea bids you teach, O pines, sing low in the moonlight. Teach the gold of patience, cry gospel of gentle hands, cry a brotherhood of hearts. The sea bids you teach, O pines. And where is the reward, little shell? What says the sea? Long has our brother been silent to us, kept his message for the ships, puny ships, silly ships. No words of the sea, O pines, no words of the sea. Long will your brother be silent to you. Keep his message for the ships, O puny pines, silly pines. To the maiden the sea was blue meadows, alive with little froth people singing. To the sailor, wrecked, the sea was dead, gray walls, superlative in vacancy. 
upon which nevertheless at fateful time was written the grim hatred of nature thank you terry that was just a few stanzas from stephen crane's war is kind we chose that poem because it was one of the favorites from our special guest, uh, Phyllis Zimbler Miller. As you listen to our interview, think about the imagery from this poem. Think about the thoughts that must have been swirling through Stephen Crane's mind. Think about what was going on at, at that time. We're here with Phyllis Zimbler Miller, author of Mrs. Lieutenant, a Sharon Gold novel. Uh, she's an entrepreneur, a writer, and helps helps authors with the marketing of the, of their of their books. Welcome, Phyllis, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, John. I'm really pleased to be here. So, tell us a little bit about your passions for writing, and why do you write? I've always written. One summer when I was in high school, I spent an entire summer typing on a manual typewriter a children's book called They Lived in the White House. I didn't do anything with it, but I certainly spent the whole summer writing it. And I, I majored in journalism at Michigan State University, and I've just always written mostly mostly nonfiction, but now fiction. So what, what type of things inspire you? You talked about you know starting writing as a child. What type of things inspire you now? I like to share stories. I really believe that people learn from stories and that stories are a way to reach people in a compelling way that just kind of... Uh, you know, a new story, the kind of newspaper stories I used to read don't do it, but a compelling fiction story actually can teach a bigger truth than a nonfiction article. Tell us a little bit more about Mrs. Lieutenant. I always wanted to tell the story from the time I was a new Mrs. Lieutenant in the spring of 1970 during the Vietnam War. And about 20 years after that, I told the story to two female movie producers here in Hollywood, and they optioned the story rights to make a movie, and then they couldn't get anyone interested. So they said to me, you have to write a book. By the time I'd written the first draft, they'd moved on. And then came almost another 20 years, just learning how to go from being a journalist to being a novelist. In May of 1970, uh, Nixon went into, expanded the Vietnam War, he went into Cambodia. And a couple of days later, students started uh, protesting at Kent State University. And that, that was filed as the National Guard of Ohio shot and killed four students. And that's exactly the same time when Sharon Gold is approaching Fort Knox, Kentucky, for her husband, who's an ROTC officer, which means he took ROTC in college. He's about to go on active duty, and he has to take uh, nine weeks of armored officer basic course. He has to learn about tanks and tank warfare. And three other women are approaching Fort Knox with their husbands. And even though the women haven't been told they can come, all four women insist on coming with their husbands, rather than staying home, even though some wives did stay home. And then, a few days after Armour um, Officer Basic Training started, the wives were given, their husbands brought home an invitation saying, please come to this meeting of officers' wives, we'd like to introduce ourselves. Which is very strange to not even be told you could come, and then to find out when you go to this first luncheon, or tea, that there's a training course on how to be a proper Mrs. Lieutenant. And it's going to take the whole same nine weeks, you know, not every day. And at the end, there'll be a graduation luncheon. So the women said, at the graduation luncheon, who wants to be the refreshments chair? Who wants to be the decorations, the invitation? Who wants to be the entertainment committee? And I raised my hand. And the woman I carpooled with, who was from the south, I'm from the north. I never thought of north and south until then. Of course, we shared a car, so she had to be on the committee. And then we got three other people and one of whom didn't speak English. And here are these four 
actually five women came together. It was such a strange time because these women had to get along, and they had very, you know, prejudices. The Civil Rights Act was only six years old. Uh, one of the women was grown up in a enlisted man. The army was very class conscious at that time. You know, to go from being an enlisted man's daughter to an officer's wife is a big, big jump. And I wanted to preserve that social history of what it was like at that time against the backdrop of the Vietnam War and protests. That's the story. So, uh, so, so it sounds like much of your your writing is based off of uh, of your experiences and some of the research that you've done. What other type of things inspire you? I particularly like to show women in strong roles, and I particularly like to write about the military. My husband and I write screenplays together, and we always have very strong female characters, not super women. Just women who stand up for themselves and try to get along in what is frequently a man's world. And those are the kinds of stories. And we also, when we got to Munich, my husband was a military intelligence officer, and I worked for military intelligence as a civilian. And so we both continue to follow the intelligence community in the United States. And we write a lot about, you know, fictional, but a lot about the intelligence community, the CIA, things that interest us. That's basically where you find the new ideas as well, is, is things that, exactly. that interest you and based off of, of things that have happened in the past as well. Exactly. We get Naval Proceedings magazine each month, which is fascinating stories about new submarines and, and the Coast Guard. And in fact, one of our screenplays is about the Coast Guard because the Coast Guard does not have enough money to protect the shores after 9-11. And so we thought if the screenplay were ever produced, it would help get money for the Coast Guard. So, yes, a lot of my writing has a separate agenda of helping people or helping organizations. It's one of my secret agendas. Looking at, looking at some of the reviews even on your website, uh, I see some very positive comments um, from, from many different, different people. What, what, what does that do to you as a writer? How does that help you either write or, or find a new, new topic? I'm going to tell you about two positive reviews, which I think were very interesting. One was from a woman whose father is now deceased, and he was in Vietnam before he married her mother, before she was born, and he would never talk about Vietnam with her. She even took a course in college about literature from the Vietnam period. He still wouldn't talk about it, about it with her. And so she really reacted very positively to the novel because she was a, it was a way for her to capture part of what her father went through because in each chapter of Mrs. Lieutenant, it starts with a little news blurb of what's really happening on that day. Mm-hmm. So it gives people who have no idea of, of uh, what was going on a feeling. But the opposite happened. A woman who was a uh, military personnel's wife, new, a new wife and, and a mother of a little child, her husband went to Vietnam, and she had to live with his parents during that year. And she had totally repressed how unhappy she was, how nasty his parents were to her, that they never wrote him when he was in Vietnam. They called him a baby killer. And that when he came home, the first time when he walked in the door, they said, choose between your wife and us. They eventually got divorced, and she hadn't really ever shared this with her husband, her second husband. She's been married with a very long time. And she read a review of the book, and she burst out crying, and her husband could not understand what was wrong. And she'd buried these feelings all these years. So that's kind of an interesting, you know, look at how this book brings back memories for some and for others, negatively or positively. Right. Well, and I think I think that's important because it evokes some type of emotion from from the readers, and it, it, it continues that cycle of, of of engaging them into the story. Uh, but it also reminds them of a life that that they've led at some point. Yes, 
And I, one of my best reviews was someone said that she reached for the Kleenex five times. That was a goal of mine. I cry easily, but I really think that people do engage with people that they have empathy for and that they kind of cry over. And that was what I was going for. So I loved that review. Very good. You know, one of the other unique things about uh, about even the the MrsLieutenant.com website that I see is is you have you have uh, book group discussion questions where you know most most authors would just write the book and, and walk away, and but you at least have those. Uh, what what made you come up with those, and, and what prompted that 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 tool for the readers? That's a good question, John. The, the novel deals a lot with racial and religious prejudice and class prejudice. And so I wanted to ask people to kind of examine you know, what, ha- what the novel talks about in 1970 and then how far have we come. And since you're on my site, you'll notice that I actually wrote a children's picture book story. I haven't done anything about the illustrations. Right after President Obama was elected, and I continued the story of the African-American character from Mrs. Lieutenant as now a grandmother, now 60 years old, in the short story, because I wanted to say something about what's happened in these last 38 years. I think it's very important for people to realize where they come from. For example, my, someone told my children when I went to visit the newspaper office I used to work at in Philadelphia how I had campaigned for women to die in their own names. And my daughters didn't have any idea what, what my colleagues, former colleagues were talking about. Well, women used to die in the name of, their obits would say, Mrs. John Smith. And then it would say, nay, their maiden name, but their first name was never given. So I, I worked to get that change in the newspaper. Well, you know, after a while you forget these things. So young women today have no idea what it was like in the 70s. And yeah. I wanted to yeah. share that information for them to appreciate how far we've come and how far we haven't come. I love the character. Can, can someone love a character? Yes, yes, because, you know, the characters are, are what, what, what you bring to life, so they're, they're part of your creation. Lieutenant Commander Molly Sanders is a woman who excels in many things, but she has to work really, really hard to be as good as the men in the Navy. And so that doesn't win her a lot of friends because she's an overachiever. And she has a secret, and there's a reason why she's an overachiever. And in the first screenplay that we wrote, we didn't reveal the secret till the end. The uh, If it goes into a graphic novel, it will be revealed, I forget at which issue, but there's a reason why she's a very, very uh, big overachiever. And she also has to learn to get along with people, to accept weaknesses. One of the most moving parts of the first, of the first screenplay that we wrote was when she has to accept the shortcomings of her of the enlisted men, and here I mean men, they were not women in this particular uh, scene, below her because before she expected everyone to be as superior as their work as she is. And not everyone is the same, and she has to learn to accept that. So I and I really like the character because both, both of the military story it tells and of the emotional story it tells. I guess you can say I like emotional stories with other stories attached to them. Yeah. I couldn't write a romance. A rom- I could never write a romance novel, a straight romance novel. It's just not what I could do. But I could write a romance as long as it's part of another story. Right. It's that detail that gets you and your readers engaged. Then we, we do a lot of research, et cetera, to check our details. So the Lieutenant uh, Commander Miles Sanders screenplay takes place in a sub, and we visited a sub in Groton on the East Coast, and yeah. we watched submar- submarine uh, 
you know, documentaries. We do a lot of research. Absolutely. Just recently joined the Military Writers Society of America, which I didn't even know existed. Yeah until a few weeks ago, and they like my blog, my Mrs. Lieutenant blog, which is at a different com. so much that they are now pulling in the feed from my blog to the top of their blog page in their website. So that was kind of a nice honor. When you're, you're very well connected online. You have a Facebook page. You have multiple web pages promoting your book and your writing. Um, you, you even have a part of the, your series of websites is is a book on, on marketing books as as well. You're giving you're giving back to the community and, and trying to trying to help people uh, not not go through some of the same pains that that, that you have gone through. Um, just just from a uh, writing and, and a marketing standpoint, can you talk a little bit about that? What 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 prompted you to to share some of those things that you learned, and even could you could you share some of those things that that, that you learned here? Absolutely, I'd love to share. Let's start with the fact that in 1992, I was a co-author with Rabbi Karen Fox of a Jewish holiday book, Seasons for Celebration. And even though it was published by a division of, of a major publisher, Putnam, basically we had to do all the marketing. So when I decided to self-publish as a lieutenant, I wasn't worried that I was going to do the marketing. But I hadn't realized how much the Internet, oh, and I forgot to tell you, I have an MBA, so I very much believe in marketing. I, I didn't realize how much the Internet had changed things. And at the same time that I sent my manuscript off to be self-published, I entered it in a contest that Amazon had last year called Amazon Breakthrough Novel Award. And I got to be a semi-finalist. And they gave each one of us, there were a lot of us, they gave each one of us a page on Amazon. And the first, I forget, 1,500 words or something of our novel was, you know, each person had a page. And I went to look at someone else's page, and she had a blog. Now, I've done email for, you know, years and years and years and years. I didn't even know what a blog was. And that was the moment in which I said, I'm going to learn every single thing that I can about Internet marketing, social media, and it, I spent, and I have to admit, a fortune losing three sets of time and money, three teleseminars. I bought lots of uh, courses, and, and some were the right ones, some were the wrong ones. And basically, I realized that I could take everything I've learned and put it together and make it much, much easier for other people so that they wouldn't have to go through this long learning curve that I did. And also, at the same time, I want to control my websites. It's driving me crazy that I have to wait for someone else to make the changes. So my daughter works with me now, and she started to learn how to make the simple changes. And then, listening to teleseminar after teleseminar, everyone kept saying, if you do a WordPress.org, which is not the same as WordPress.com, website, you have to have a web, as someone put it, at Apple that understands HTML and everything. But once you do that, you control everything yourself. And I said, okay, yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to create websites for book authors and small businesses that will be market, marketing-driven, everything I learned about marketing, not design-driven, and they will be able to control themselves totally. And we're going to help them get on social media to prom promote these websites. So Lieutenant Commander Mary Sanders' website is actually one of the first ones we did trying out our idea based on uh, my graphic, proposed graphic novel series. And, you know, I look at these book author websites now, and I just cringe. I, I, I've, how shall I say this? I go on a website. Someone was very proud. They announced on LinkedIn that she just did a website for a book author and the publisher. You go on the person's website, very pretty picture. You have no idea what the book's about. The book's title apparently is some famous jockey 
which I might have been interested in if there had been a tagline to say that, but it was just his name, small title on the, on the picture of the book, it means nothing to me. Right. And I just see so many book authors making this mistake. They, because they know their book so well, they don't understand that on the web. It's a second you have to catch a person's attention. And in that second, you better sell them at least an, and spending two more seconds to learn about you. I don't think you can sell them on buying the book, but you can at least sell them on saying, yes, I need to learn more. And that's what I want to help authors do. And our names, the one that we just did for a book author in London, he self-published before he came to us. The name of the book is a YA novel, and it's going to be the beginning of a series. So my daughter, Yale, actually thought of the name for the series. So the name of the book is The Pie Wiz, P-Y-E-W-I-Z, and The Amazing Mobile Phone. No one is going to know how to spell that. Then he thought his name was too common, so he chose a really hard name to spell as his author name. So once he figured out the name of the series, then we shortened that, and we got him a really good URL, which is, I mean, he got it. We told him to get it. He liked it. Solar System Tales, T-A-L-E-S. And when you go on that website, you right away know it's a YA novel, it's an adventure novel, takes place in outer space. He designed a fabulous banner header. Ford, he couldn't believe it. He said, it looks like I'm in business. I said, you are in business, and you need to conduct your life as if you're in business as a book author. Right. And now he's on Twitter because we taught him how to be on Twitter. So I, I would like to shorten that learning curve for book authors who sometimes spend a great deal of money, and I've spent some money in the wrong places, without any coherent marketing plan. And there's a way to be coherent and push your brand out there. And I have a lot of free articles on one of two of my sites that I'd love for people to share and learn from. One is on Queens, plural, bookmarketing.com, and the others are on millermosaic.com, which I talk about ways to promote your book online for free and how important a domain name is, et cetera, et cetera. All to help people not have to reinvent the wheel. Well, the good, the good part about it is is that you've li- you've lived it. You're going through it yourself. So the advice is not theoretical or, or you know just an idea. It's it's things that you you actually feel very comfortable about. And I think that's that's important. Yes, and I think the biggest piece of advice I could give anyone is to start much earlier with marketing than you think you need to. I really should have started. I should have started even before I entered the book. And Amazon and sent it to book search, but definitely the day that I started, I wish I was already on social media like Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn, so they would already have had friends, followers, fans, and I should have started marketing it. Not obvious marketing, not beating people over the head, but marketing meaning creating relationships of people who are interested. So I have given a lot of copies of my book to help in a fundraising campaign for Operation Soldier Care and in a new site called The Twisted Sisterhood encourage people to write an essay about their lives. I mean, that's one of the things that people can do is to give their book away for free, but it's part of a contest where every time they mention the rules of the contest, your book title gets mentioned. Yeah. Very yeah. important. Do a good deed, and you get free publicity. Yeah, so so are you finding that much of the time you're, you're more of a marketer than you are a, a, a writer, or is it a happy medium for you? At this stage, I'm more of a marketer than a writer. I'm determined to, to go back to the, the manuscript of the sequel that I've been working on. And, of course, I write. I have two blogs. At one point, I had three blogs. So I write all the time. I write guest posts. I write uh, my own blogs. I write articles for Ezine articles. So I'm actually writing all the time. It's just I'm not writing fiction, and I miss it. So I'm determined to go back to the sequel. Do you have any uh, final advice for 
for authors out there, writers out there, besides, you know, make sure you focus on that marketing piece because it's 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 more important than you think it is. Uh, the, is there anything else that, that that you can pull out of your experiences and say, uh, if you were to do one thing besides marketing, here is here is an important piece. Yes, but actually two. One I didn't need to do because I used to teach copy editing at Temple University in Philadelphia. I've seen this over and over again. If you self-publish, you must, must, must paper for professional to edit the book. That just, that just has to be part of the cost of publishing your book. No matter how good you think you are in grammar and punctuation and spelling, forgetting spell check, which, you know, there are spell check errors, you must, must, must have someone professional do it. And the other one is create a brand. I write, I have three articles about this. In other words, who you are, what makes you different from all the writers of, of romances or of dramas. My brand just kind of developed from Mrs. Lieutenant into a military brand because of my blog and the other work that I do. And so I have this brand that sets me apart. And a brand can be, you know, lots of people think it can only be for a nonfiction book. It can clearly be for a fiction book. There are all kinds of ways to take your brand. Let's say it's a YA novel. And let's say it takes it's a fantasy and figure out how you can do activities perhaps with youth, you know, youth centers and when you go in and talk about writing with them and then you can write about that on your blog. You can really develop a brand that makes you stand out and promote your book at the same time. And that's what I wish I had known ahead of time instead of after the fact. Is there anything that else that you want to add or an additional site that, that you'd like to share or, or anything in general from a writing perspective? Well, I would like to share books that I have nothing to do with except I think it's one wonderful, wonderful book for anyone. It's called Mindset, M-I-N-D-S-E-T. It has some long subtitle. It's now in paperback by Carol Dweck, D-W-E-C-K. And it's about having an open mind when you're learning difficult things. And I have to say I'm very pleased that I have an open mind because otherwise every time I felt stupid when I tried Twitter and everything, I would have given up. So I think it's very, very important that if writers are going to try these new marketing media, that they do two things. One, they try and learn as much as possible. I see people make mistakes on Twitter all the time. So learn as much as you can before you go on something. Have someone guide you so that when you start out on one of these new social media platforms, you do it the correct way so that you don't offend people. In fact, my English uh, client, I didn't realize I didn't tell him that he shouldn't friend, excuse me, follow everyone on Twitter right away. So his account got suspended because he followed so many people right away that he that they thought it was spam. No, you go on gradually and you watch and you and you learn. So that's an important thing. And the next the other half of that is not to give up because you feel stupid. Everyone goes through this learning curve. And that's why the book Mindset, which is really very well written, you know, it's not a very deep psychological book. The author strove to make it very um, user-friendly in terms of reading, but it just reinforces the idea that, that you are not judged by the fact that you can't get to social media the first time. In fact, a person is judged much higher who's willing to say, I will go through this learning curve and feel stupid because I know at the other end I will get it, instead of saying, I don't use Twitter. I've heard this from many people because, you know, it just seems so silly. And then if you ever get them on and they see the power Twitter for a marketing strategy, they go, oh, my heavens, I didn't realize that's what you've been trying to tell me. So I really hope that everyone keeps an open mind, and if they don't think they have one, this book mindset would be excellent. Thank you, Phyllis, for, for, for joining us today, and uh, we, we look forward to future conversations with you.
Thank you, Jen, so much for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. And no episode of Story Institute's Rambling Verser would be complete without our short story and poetry topics. Terry? And here's today's short story topic. What if our life did depend on the roll of a dice? A gambling woman would carry around her own dice. Every move, every call she makes is determined by her roll. Each option is assigned a number that corresponds to the dots in the dice. One means she takes a bus to work. Five indicates she takes her bike. This is not always the best method, but she rolls them every day. She needs to roll them every day. What event in her life triggered this behavior? Why is she bound to keep on rolling? Has she ever stopped trying? If she did, what happened? Did she lose her job? Did she lose a loved one? Did she go back a few spaces and start this round of her life over again? Same house, same car, same trials and tribulations? What would the roll of the dice bring if it was on the edge? Does a woman wish to ever even think about it? Where did these dice come from? Who had them before her? Can she get rid of them, or do they end when her streak ends? Decide on the story and write. Post it to our website at storyinstitute.com or share elsewhere. But write and enjoy. And here's today's poetry topic, weather. Weather can be a hope or a hate topic. Weather can cause us to look forward to the day or dread it. Think about the calming drips of the slow rain as it provides tasty water to the thirsty, verdant terrain. Now increase the intensity. The pitchers of liquid being poured across the fields and add the swirling of a more steady breeze. Take one additional step, increasing to truckloads of drenching intensity, massive whoosh and whoops of howls exposing more frightened by a deep violet backdrop, covered by enormous gray, but temporary soldiers. Think about your imagery. Watch the news. Tune into the Weather Channel. Determine the intensity or calmness of your weather and write. Remember, poems are simple, but have all the power of a story in a tiny, small space. Kind of like that afternoon shower. Post it here or share to our website at storyinstitute.com or write elsewhere. But write and enjoy. Well, thank you for those topics, Terry, And thank you for joining us here at Story Institute's Rambling Verser. If you'd like to give us feedback, feel free to visit our site at storyinstitute.com or send us an email at ramblingverser at storyinstitute.com or give us a buzz at 615-713-1783. Until we meet again, imagine, enhance, and grow your stories.